Hello and welcome to the world of emotions and the Emotion Focus podcast, a series all about emotions, how they work for us, how sometimes seemingly they don't work for us, and how we might understand that better so that potentially we can do something about it. I'm Lou Cooper and I'm your host. I'm based in Nam in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm joined in this series by people from around the globe who have dedicated most of their professional lives to the exploration of emotions. Everything you hear on this podcast is informed by emotion theory and emotion-focused therapy. Yesterday, I looked in my fridge and it was pretty empty. Actually, no, there was something that I could cook. There was some food that I could prepare from what was in the fridge. But there were a few things missing. And so I took myself to the supermarket and I, you know, I realized I needed some dishwashing liquid and I wanted some oranges and I was out of milk and there was something else, right? There was something else. And when I got to the supermarket, I couldn't remember what the something else was. I knew there were four things. I counted the four things so I would remember. But I couldn't remember what it was. And now, as I'm telling you this, I still can't remember what that fourth thing was. Now, I mean, I know that's an experience that happens to lots of people, particularly as we get older. We forget things. But wow, did I give myself a hard time about the fact that I'd forgotten I really kind of beat myself up about it. And this is what we're going to talk about in this episode, about that critical part of ourselves that, as I said, kind of beats ourselves up. To do this, I'm joined by Rhonda Goldman, who is Professor of Clinical Psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and is one of the co-developers of emotion-focused therapy for individuals and for couples and co-author of numerous books on emotion-focused therapy. Rhonda, thank you for your time again. Hello. Thanks for inviting me. Do you have this critical part of yourself that beats you up? Indeed, I do. Indeed, I do. I think many, many of us have this critical part of ourselves that, that beats ourselves up. Yes. So in the example, you know, what happened to me, it was, you're useless, I can't you remember, you're pathetic even. What other things do we do to ourselves in that way? <laughs> Are you normal? Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's pretty common. I imagine that you have a good awareness of those voices and what they're saying. I think for some people it's a bit more implicit and um, it's almost like so normal that they don't even notice that there's a critical voice. But yeah, I do think that many people have a critical voice and and it's kind of pretty hard on them sometimes, really can be beating themselves up. So yeah, I think that's quite common. And it's not nice. Yeah, I'm very aware of that voice and I go, oh no, not that again, that old thing happening again. But if you don't have an awareness of that happening, it can really drive you to feeling pretty, dare I say, shitty about yourself, right? Definitely. 
there's a few things that we know about this. If that part is very contemptuous, it can really lead people to feel quite depressed or anxious, right? So I think that the strength of the contempt behind that voice is actually very important in terms of mental health. I also think that that's probably just one of the voices you have inside of yourself, I'm guessing anyway. There's another voice, Rhonda, that says, you're fabulous. You're fabulous? Oh, well, occasionally. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and there is another voice. So, But then there's, I mean, also could be a voice that says, stop beating up on me, you're being too hard on me, kind of fights back against that that harsh voice. There might also be another voice, as you said, that's more likes you and says, you know, I am worthwhile and I've got stuff to offer and and feels proud of, of what you do, right? I mean, for example, you produce this great podcast and it's something you ought to be proud of. So there might be different voices in you. But yeah, I mean, when one voice and that critical voice that you're describing gets really, really strong and kind of takes over, I think that's when people start to really feel it down. Yeah, yeah. Because when it gets going, it can really get going, which sort of leads to the question, where does this come from? How does this develop? Where did it come from? What I see, it's interesting, right? Because to some extent, it's fear-based oftentimes, right? So people want to accomplish things and they want to be proud of themselves and they sometimes feel like they may not be able to meet those expectations or those goals and they won't feel good enough so you know in a way it's trying to that voice is trying to get them to a place where they feel good about themselves but they are falling a bit short so there's there might be some good things in that voice too it's trying to motivate them but oftentimes you know these do mirror voices of maybe authority figures or parents who haven't always been unconditionally loving, for example, or have created very high expectations that have made people, you know, people have internalized those voices from other people in their lives, one way or another, either directly, the people have, you know, made them feel not good and not worthwhile, or just by sometimes through neglect or the sort of absence of warmth and care, concern, that people kind of then read that and then they fill it in for themselves. Well, okay, so she's not available to me. It must mean that I'm not good enough to get her love. And so then they become kind of critical of themselves. So there's different ways that those voices develop. But yeah, I think that they are definitely external to the self and then they become internalized. Okay, so they become internalized and when they're there, they can make us feel pretty awful, particularly if we don't know that they're there. So what do we need to do about that? What do we need when that's happening? Well, you know, when I work with people, I really, first of all, try to help them to become aware of those voices. You see, and this is another thing that happens is sometimes people give themselves a hard time about giving themselves a hard time. And so when they start to give themselves a hard time, they kind of shut down their awareness, right? And and I say, no, 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 don't do that. (laughs) 
be aware of those voices. What do they say? What are they telling you? And and so I think that's a good start is awareness. So instead of saying, yeah, I'm giving myself a hard time, why am I giving myself such a hard time? Exactly. Then just be like, oh, these are the ways in which I'm giving myself a hard time. Be specific. Be aware. But then I also say, well, be aware of what you feel when you say that to yourself. And then people start to say, oh, yeah, well, I'm feeling kind of down and that's making me feel pretty bad, right? And then we start to really kind of be able to open up to these you know, negative feelings. The interesting thing is you got to go through those negative feelings to get to the good feelings. But the path is open now. And then we start going through it. This is the focus on emotion, right? Yeah. Before we were talking about what we're doing to ourselves and now we're talking about the experience, the emotional experience that is generated by that. And you're saying that's where the key is to changing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, awareness of it, of the negative voice, acceptance of it to some extent, and then what is the feeling inside that is evoked in you the bad feeling, right? Because generally it's a, when you're going to be hard on yourself, you're going to feel bad, right? So what's the negative feeling? And then going through that to find the, the good feeling, right? Because there's there are these different voices inside of us and they do coexist. And, and sometimes we need to give a little bit of help to that more positive, maybe more assertive voice that fights back or the one that says I am worthwhile. Sometimes that's just kind of been shrouded and and not so easily accessed. So we got to give a little bit of more support to that voice to kind of help it contend with the harsher voice. And that's some of what we're doing when we're talking with people. Okay, so the negative emotion that you, you described as a negative emotion, the negative impact of that critical voice we don't feel good when we're hearing that critical voice. I'm wondering whether we can distinguish what emotions we're likely to be experienced in response. Well, so generally it's shame, right? So when you feel not good enough or not worthwhile, I mean, when you feel beaten down, sometimes you feel defeated. But I think it's just usually sort of like a constellation of shame. And, yeah, that, that can feel pretty painful. So we're experiencing that shame and then you said and then we need to access other emotions kind of counteract that shame. So if we're in a space of shame, what is it that we need? Well, that's a, you brought up a good thing here. So you said the need. That's an interesting thing that we've observed in doing this process and working through these processes with people for a long time. We've observed that, you know, needs will often emerge they're not necessarily so easily accessed until people start to feel, right? So once those negative feelings come up and, and you know, we're helping people to access them, to express them. And then interesting thing is that when we can really just be with those feelings and stay with them and allow them, that these needs come up. And the need might be to feel okay or to feel worthwhile, or to feel acceptable as I am. 
So yeah, I think it's a need and often that comes with a kind of stronger, more maybe assertive anger. And, and you know, it's important to distinguish here assertive anger from other kinds of anger. This isn't a destructive anger. This is an anger within oneself that one feels just, you know, I am okay. I am good enough. You need to see that. You need to recognize me. So this is a process that we see happen. Once we really go in and allow these kind of different voices to come out, to come forward, then that's when these more positive uh, needs and more assertive needs um, come up. People feel stronger then. And that's a good feeling too, to feel stronger inside. As opposed to being kind of at the mercy of that shame, you know. Shame isn't an emotion that we're really going to want to lap up. It's an emotion that we're more likely to want to avoid, right? So as you were saying, we need to sort of just experience that shame so that these needs will emerge. That's that's quite a difficult process, Yeah. Right, and it can be quite difficult because shame is not an easy feeling to feel. And sometimes people feel ashamed about feeling shame. And so it's not an easy motion to approach either. But yeah, in a way, we try to make it feel really safe and okay to feel this feeling. And, and one thing we also say is, you know, a bad feeling is not the last feeling you feel. So if you can feel that shame in order to go through it, then there's sort of hope, there's light on the other side, of, you know, at the end of the tunnel. And so, yeah, like shame is painful and people don't relish in it. <laughs> but, yeah, somehow if we can help you go through it and be okay with it, we can usually help you get to a newer and a different emotion. And that different emotion that emerges, is that going to, by experiencing that, is that going to help us with our critical part? Yeah, because you see, when the critical part, I mean, it's a part of us, right? And so when the critical part sort of realizes, oh, my goodness, I didn't really realize I was causing you to feel so much pain, right? Then there's a compassion that will often then emerge. And again, we're all over that, right? I mean, if there's if people start to express self-compassion and self-soothing, then that's amazing, right? And we help them express that further. So, yeah, it's an interesting process, and it's an amazing process, actually, because people do have these kind of self-healing capacities. And in a way, what we're helping them do is unlock them. So is the shame also, you're talking about it producing shame, that critical voice produces shame, creates shame. But is there also another experience of shame which is about the fact that that critical voice is doing its thing? Does that critical part, as we're talking about, does that critical part actually feel shame about being so nasty? I don't think that critical part necessarily feels shame. Now, there might be some processes people need to go through around that um, especially if they're very sensitive to being shamed and having been shamed, and they don't want to kind of replicate that within themselves. But usually that's a process that we can kind of go through and acknowledge. The interesting thing is that critical voice is actually trying to protect the person 
and they're trying to sort of make things right. And often that's what kind of comes into awareness through the process is people go, oh, okay. So I, I was just trying to make things okay. I was just trying to protect you. And I was just afraid that you weren't going to be all right. You know, and it's, it's an interesting thing because how is criticizing yourself, protecting yourself? But in fact, it is because it's trying to help you get to your goal, right? So it's an interesting thing that gets, that comes out of the process. And people realize that they've been trying to protect themselves and it's worked and it hasn't worked. <laughs> and they can often let go of the thing that hasn't worked about it because being harsh with yourself, being contemptuous, that doesn't tend to really go too many places in, or too many good places. So people can often, once they see it, they can kind of let go. And then also there's the self-compassion piece is really important. We have to remember because when people start to feel and see that, you know, I'm causing pain in myself, then they can usually shift into a more self-compassionate place. So that would be, you know, it's okay, Lou, to forget one thing when you go to the supermarket. <laughs> it's really okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that other one thing, well, maybe it wasn't all that important. But also, like, Lou, you're working so hard and you're doing so well and you're trying your best. Right. I mean, I think those are the some of what the voices might say if you were to be a little more forgiving with yourself. <laughs> Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you. Is that a free session? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Trying to help you. Thank you so much for your time and and for that little guidance um, to me about my critical voice. And I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you, Lou. Thanks for inviting me. Rhonda Goldman is Professor of Clinical Psychology at Chicago School of Professional Psychology and one of the co-developers of Emotion-Focused Therapy. And if you'd like to find out more about this podcast, please visit our website, emotionfocus.com, and I encourage you to share wherever you would like to share on your socials.